Hey, boys. How you going? Good, man. How are you? Hey. Yeah, good, man. Good. Just uh, another week done and dusted. And yeah, super keen for this podcast. We've got so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are pretty in-depth and um, some of them cover a common theme. So I'm going to try to group them as we go and kind of navigate through all these questions. But um, I wanted to start off with just like, let's just talk about our weeks. Like, how's our week been? Maybe we'll start with you, Scotty. Uh, how's your week been, buddy? Yeah, cool. Uh, pretty standard, to be honest. There's not much really to re- report on my end. Training's been going um, pretty good. I'm actually starting, I started a few weeks ago, basically my longitudinal planning for my prep for next year. So sort of mapping out that and the phases and my pre-prep phase and things like that. So that that's kind of getting pretty exciting. And to be honest, I'm actually really looking forward to the idea of the pre-prep phase to just have a break from eating, man. Like I'm really aggressive. <laughs> I know a lot of people in prep would be like, what's wrong with you? But um, to be honest, I actually think in the peak of your off season, force feeding, I think that's worse than just being super hungry and being dieted in prep because the feeling that you get some nights of not being sure if you need to vomit before you go to bed, it's actually, it's, it's a real thing. I've actually got one of my young bodybuilder guys who, he said to me the other week, oh, normally like once or twice a week, he'll literally like wake up and have to vomit in the middle of the night. Like that's, he's, wow. he's eating close to 6,000 calories. He's just a wow. massive hard gainer. Um, but otherwise, no, it's, everything's going really good. Training is unreal. Obviously, the, the, the positive trade-off to eating a lot and being physically bigger is that just doing things in the gym um, that you just can't even imagine what you can do in prep. So, you know, you, you've got all that to look forward. And, um, and MG will have that, obviously, now that he's, he's uh, post-barley and post-op. And we covered that in your check-in the other day, bro, that obviously you're on the way to start to, to leverage and start to enter, I guess, your first push phase now that things are starting to head in the right direction. Man, 100%. I think it was the first week, like, uh, having come back from Bali, and I think I said to him, I check in, I'm like, man, I'm in this, like, crazy zone of just, like, mm-hmm. wanting to train. You know, that, that, you know that feeling of, like, you almost want to overtrain, right? Like, you just you want to keep going. You, you feel like you could train seven days a week. And it's just yeah. felt, like, like, ages since I've had that feeling. So, and I think the, the, the surgery, obviously, the knee surgery, you know, put me out for a bit. Then we had the holidays. So, like, I've had a lot of time to rest, recover, and, like, just think about getting big. Mm-hmm. And now I've got the opportunity to uh, to do it. So this is this is by far the best week in training I reckon I've had since like you know the first four weeks of my prep. You know, so I'm talking like seven eight months. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not quite there with the weight yet, but in terms of what I'm lifting. But I, you know, the signs are there that it's going to come. It's going to come hard and fast at the start. So beyond the amps, man. I think as well, like now um, that you are at a position where recover recoverability has been met. Like you know. You start to, I remember you would say early on um, in your recovery phase, like three or four weeks, I feel awesome, I'm grouse, and I'm like, yeah, I still think you can feel better. And it's like, you, if you think to how you feel now, like especially coming off having some, some you know, real downtime in Bali and obviously just some time, I know you were, you were eating to your targets, but a little bit more of a flexible approach, not having to stress. Like, would you say now that you just feel hundred times like fully recovered and just ready to charge. I think, you know, the biggest, you know, the biggest factor is like, even then when I was telling you, I feel awesome. Right. I think one of the things I was giving you feedback on was, but I was still hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, when I was rating my satiety, I was like, I'm still like a two or three out of five. Like I'm still not, I'm still not feeling full. I feel like this is the first week where I'm like, all right, 
I'm starting to get up to a four out of five now in terms of like feeling full and satisfied. And I'm not looking for food every couple of hours like I was. And that to me is like yep. the first time I felt that since prep. So, yep. you know, that's, that's a long time since April. Well, how, uh, so how many weeks would that be now? You're what? Oh man. Well, first week of April really. And yeah. 16 weeks. So, so a long time. Yeah. So just four, four months, right on four months. So I think that's about right. So though. Just how long. M- MT, you'll probably be a, about the same. I know I was, it took me probably close to five months, if I'm brutally honest, to just, once you've got that fat mass back, and again, you've had that consistent period of your body just trusting the energy availability is consistent and you're not, you know, you're not in a dieted condition anymore to just really, and you've got some fat mass, like a decent amount compared to where you were. And I think, again, that just comes down to just level of conditioning. You know, you were obviously extremely lean, and MT, you'll be exactly the same, man, because obviously, you know, you're going to be shredded to the bone um, even more than you already are. And that obviously is going to come with the recoil. So it'll be interesting to see as well if if you fall under that, you know, 16 to 20-week to bracket, which I dare say most people, to be honest, that they do. It takes about that time. Yeah, I'll definitely be keeping you guys updated and I'll, and I'll be more aware of it too. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely keep you guys updated on how I feel throughout the whole, you know, reverse recovery mm-hmm. and off-season process for sure. So tell us about your week, man. I'm itching because we haven't really caught up because I was going to get through it last week. How, how's prep going? Any new lows? Um, give us the download. Yeah, really good, man. Like, to be honest, weight hasn't shifted a hell of a lot. I think it's, things are slowing down. But it's not a bad thing. Yeah, the physique is improving and it's looking better. Mm-hmm. Uh, always, like, always new lines, more detail uh, and things like that. You know, from a training perspective, performance is still good, uh, still able to progress. Add a little bit of weight, a little bit of reps. Everything's still feeling really good. Motivation is good to train. Like mm-hmm. I'm at my gym at home and I put my music on or motivational um, talks, I put them on too, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I zone and just enjoy myself and, uh, and just take my time and get, to get through my training. So training's been really good. Uh, steps have been really good too. Like I don't know if you guys know, but I do most of my steps around my house as I do work on my phone. So I get my steps in pretty easily. Um, Food's been real good, man. Like, I'm not food focused. I'm enjoying my food. I'm not hungry. I'm just not full, which I kind of said to you guys is as to be expected. Energy's low, but as to be expected too. Sleep is amazing, to be honest. Like, I'm just getting locked out. I'm, I don't want to say too much, but I'm trialing a new supplement that um, I did some research on and I found some pretty reputable uh, sources that have been talking about it. It's not big yet, but I've been trying it and it's freaking amazing. It's, is it ashwagandha? Nah, nah. That's, okay. old, that's old news. I've been using that for ages. Um, oh, okay. I don't really reckon. I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. I tried. I don't really, I don't reckon there's anything in that other than. I've had clients that had amazing results with that. And um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, it's been real good. It's to do with cortisol. It's actually to do with regulating cortisol more than, okay. more than your sleep. Um, so that's been good. Sleep's been good. But, like, I've had some really um, fun things to do with food this week. Like, uh, I've gone fully to red meat, no white meat whatsoever, and everything on all my red meat's coming from uh, kangaroo. And actually, mm-hmm. it's funny because if you go the minced can- kangaroo, it's actually leaner and cheaper than normal beef uh, when you work it out per kilo. And yep. it's very, very easy to cook. So I've actually found I've been feeling a lot better just going to full red meat. Uh, and I've just been changing things up. Like I'm going to post a little um, video 
a letter in my stories maybe this, this week or next week of a two-ingredient protein pancake, uh, which you can add more ingredients to. Obviously, you can put fruit in it. You can put honey on it. You can put uh, oats in it and things like that. But I swap my omelette for a protein pancake in the morning and it's like my favorite meal of the day. And it's got two ingredients. It's just got protein powder and egg whites. Right. I was going to say, if there's protein powder in it, that really eliminates That's one. really it. And then I add cinnamon on top and I might add some um, some low-cal sauce on it, but not a lot. But mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want with it. So that kind of stuff. Um, oh yeah, I've just, I've just been really enjoying trying different things and enjoying my food. And I'm really looking forward to off-season and utilizing all these. Like, I don't want to change anything. Mm-hmm. I'll just have more. But mm-hmm. I just don't want to change anything because I'm just enjoying um, everything I'm doing. So everything's going really well. I had posing uh, session the other day and uh, I've worked out all my transitions, all my poses, what poses I want to select, all the variations. I took it through with uh, Vicky and she was like really, really happy with everything. So that's oh. all good, man. I'm five weeks out to my first one and I'm super pumped. Have you, have you finalized what – because I know we were talking – you were going to obviously do classic. Are you still thinking you might jump in bodybuilding and maybe just men's physique as well? No, I'm just going to stick to classic. Like for yep. A and B, obviously you can't cross compete across divisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBA you can, but I still want to stick to classic to be honest. Uh, yep. And ICN you can cross compete, but I just want to stick to classic. So yeah, I'm just going to stick to what I think best suits me. You know, I've only really got to learn one set of posing. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though I know bodybuilding pose because that's what I did back in the day. Uh, and cl- classic physique is probably the most complex posing. So if you can do classic well, you can pretty much do any other division. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You'd, only have, you'd only have to add a lat spread, wouldn't you? Both like front and back lat spread. For and bodybuilding? You, and you take bodybuilding. out your variations. So like yeah, actually yeah, less. pretty much, dude. So um, yeah, I'm super pumped. And I'm happy with how the team, the team is going in general. And uh, everyone's really thriving. We're thriving off each other too. And um, any little tips that I pick up that I probably wouldn't have picked up being in prep, I've just been sharing them with the team and, and they've been loving them. So um, I'm super keen for season B, man. Super fucking keen. Have you found that because you, I mean, obviously, you normally have big teams that compete. And I know this year you've, again, got another big team. But normally, obviously, you're on the sidelines. So it's easy when you're in a well-fed state. Have you found it better, more challenging, obviously competing whilst having your athletes compete? I found that I have all my energy I need for my own training and for my work. Mm-hmm. So I'm making sure that those things are not going to um, reduce in quality whatsoever. Yeah. The rest of the day, maybe my energy is low. I'm dragging ass a little bit. But, That's right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not talking as much to some people or whatever that may be. But mm-hmm. I think my enthusiasm is the same or if not better. Um, and I think people, as I said, like I can relate to my clients and I always have been able to relate to them. So it's kind of helping me a little bit and it's, it's helping motivate them. But also I can't relate to some of them too because they're, some of them are talking about how hungry they are and I'm not hungry. So, and I'm on less, I'm on, might be on less carbs or less fats than them. So <laughs> there's things that I can relate and there's things that I can't, but I, I always separate the two. I always separate how I coach someone to how I feel in the day. Like I never want what I'm doing to affect my work and to affect my yeah. clients. If I'm having a shit day. My clients shouldn't even feel the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Same. So, but yeah, it's, it's all going well. I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. 
Awesome, man. It's exciting. Um, all right, we've got a, we've got some questions, and uh, let's get through them. Uh, there are sure. some related questions, so I'm just going to start with the first one. Uh, do you think you can be too lean too early for a show? Do you want to tackle that, Scotty? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> I think it depends on the con- on the context. Firstly, how early are we talking about, and also what is the division? Are they male? Are they female? I think, in all honesty, unless it's bodybuilding or in the, I guess, the pro divisions, I think conditioning is something that people probably, like a lot of people get in really, really good shape, but they don't maybe get into like true, like we know what elite conditioning really looks like. And so I think in my, in my opinion, and I think it, it just is the way it is, but if you, if you want to go down that path, like you look at the top most conditioned athletes that we've seen in the last few years they're ready super early. You have to be. You have to allow yourself um, enough time. Um, but I think in amateur ranks, I don't think you can be ready too early unless you're just working with a genetic freak. Uh, and obviously, being ready early also comes with some recoil and trade-offs. Obviously, you know, everyone's individual uh, caloric intake is going to be different. But in terms of the, I guess, the tax that it takes on your endocrinology, because obviously... Um, sex hormones are going to be affected and more so in females than males. So obviously majority of females, if they're competing in figure or fitness and they're getting really lean, they're probably going to um, suffer from some menstrual disruption or amenorrhea, which is unfortunately just a recoil. But I think if you're smart about being ready early, it actually provides you with a lot of, a lot more tools at your disposal, like being ready. You could probably jump on stage now and you wouldn't be your version of 100, but compared to majority of the other guys you're going to compete against, you're probably going to be more conditioned now than they're going to be uh, in, in five weeks. And as a result of that, you're lucky, obviously, you're working with, um, with B. He knows, obviously, what he's doing. And so I'm sure there will come a point, as you said, your weight loss has started to sort of stagnate a bit, which makes sense because as, if you think about it, as we have less fat mass that we can liberate, we obviously need to go a lot slower at the back end. Otherwise, run the risk. If you're losing like 600, 700 grams a week, there's a fair possibility that majority of that is going to be hard-earned muscle tissue. So obviously, the advantage of being ready early means that we can slowly um, reverse calories and ideally eat up um, into the show and essentially top up. But it also comes with the recoil that potentially, and some people, and it has happened before, where if you go too far down, sometimes if you suck them down too low, you just can't bring them back to life. Um, and there is the risk of obviously losing some muscle mass. But for me, I think being ready early is always going to be better because, again, you have all of those tools at your disposal. You can increase calories, you can refeed, you can run diet breaks. Um, and provided that you're working with someone that, understands how to manipulate and use those tools, um, I, I think it's more advantageous than, um, than detrimental. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of those things that really solidified that with me was last year when shows get, kept getting in pushed out and pushed out and pushed out, like mm-hmm. eight weeks, you know, more. <clears throat> have people ready for their show and then four weeks before their show, they'll be like, oh, the show's now in eight weeks more time post that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that so people were ready early technically because the show got pushed out. So you had the ability to feed them back up. And what you found is their physique improved, their energy, their mood improved. And 
post-comp reverse improved. So I think sometimes that was just because of the lay of the land that we were ready early for that reason. Mm-hmm. But now it's made me understand and think that sometimes it's a good thing to be ready early so you can utilize those tools and almost start to bring calories back up get that person feeling refreshed replenished improves the look of their physique and then obviously post comp their recovery their reverse is a lot easier they're already starting that process kind of like if i if i put like a federation hat on or say like a judge's hat on right and especially in the amateur ranks at like a state level is the trade-off being like that elite level conditioning is always going to stand out if you're in the right category um, versus the potential sacrifice of maybe a small amount of muscle tissue. And Scott said it at the start, like unless it's like a pro rank or bodybuilding, I just think that, you know, if you really had to choose out of the two, if, if both were an option, like, I think you'd still take the elite level conditioning every day of the week anyway. Um, and you know, the, 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 the advantages of potentially, you know, the feed up, the, the, the ability to trial a peak week or, or have a go at a couple of peak weeks is another, you know, another big thing that, you know, as a coach is, is a great thing to have access to. So I just think, yeah, with, you know, the typical type of competitor, unless you're at, you know, at a high level pro rank, um, yeah, being early, being ready too early is not really a, a big, a big issue. And if your coach knows what they're doing, there's plenty of strategies and ways to be able to maintain, you know, your fullness, that level of condition, you know, for a long period of time if, if, if your coach knows what they're doing. And you can actually, I've found as well, if you do have enough time, you can actually, because obviously dieting for a long time, we are going to see some, um, some reduction in lean mass. You can actually, if you're at maintenance for enough time leading or eating into the show, you can actually gain back some of that muscle that you might have lost on the way down, which, I mean, that comes back to, you know, filling back up the tank as well as obviously reducing cortisol, improved sleep. And as you know, you said, um, MT food focus and again, setting them up for that protocol post when prep finishes that they've been eating at a good amount. So it allows you to, you know, push calories even higher again because assuming they're at maintenance. So it just... For me, you're not going to be able to go wrong with it. And I think it's important to understand that if you want to get into truly elite conditioning, you're not going to do that in a 12, 16, or even in a 20-week prep um, because, as we know, you need to go so much slower and you need to be so much more careful at the back end. And, you know, we use the analogy of give a little, take a little. You need to obviously take from the system and then give back to it. So if you're constantly dieting and doing shitloads of cardio towards the end, yeah, you might be getting really, really lean towards the back end, but you can guarantee that you're also probably going to be doing that at the detriment of losing quality tissue that you've worked really hard to build in the off-season. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you touched on, Scotty, which was one of the other questions we got, was um, you know, do people <coughs> normally lose their cycle during prep and what's the timeframes of, uh, of it returning? Yeah, I think this is something that probably... It used to get a lot of whack, and I think now that we probably have a lot more knowledgeable coaches in the game, we understand that unfortunately um, part of this sport, and especially for females, is that obviously when you're in a prolonged period of energy deprivation and EA does get low, but we also know it's not just a matter of your calories being lower. It comes down to body composition. You've got, I've got girls at the moment that are close to eating up and they're hovering in the 1,600, 1,700-calorie range. And they, they have lost their cycle. And that's not as a result of them not eating enough food. Their food didn't even have to be pushed that low. Versus I've got um, other girls that I've had to push a lot harder. 
and they might hang on for longer until they lose it because it comes down to, firstly, everyone's endocrinology is going to be different. But females, as we know, uh, obviously, EA does affect uh, sex hormones as well as body composition. And the trade-off, one of the things that that we unfortunately suffer from um, as naturals, we don't have that pharmacology to help um, alleviate that is that we are going to see um, we are going to see some changes to our sex hormone levels and unfortunately for females that does mean loss of a cycle um, and potentially uh, amenorrhea but I think again as long as you're working with someone that knows what they're doing and you guys log when that time happened and you're aware and as a, as a coach or as an athlete you know that your coach has instilled in you and explained as to why that's happening and then the plan of attack and what's going to happen at the conclusion of your contest prep. And again, provided that you do, and this is partly why we do use the recovery diet more than a reverse diet, because we know that going slower and reversing calories up um, at the conclusion of a contest prep isn't gonna get your, your menstrual cycle back faster. It's actually gonna, um, it's, it's gonna prolong it even longer. So that's why we employ that recovery diet. And there's no real set formula on how long you know it takes. There's actually a really good case study um, when this um, question came through. It reminded me, and it's free access for anyone to look at it. It's by Halliday and colleagues, but it was in 2016. And this was actually the year that I pretty much ditched um, reverse diets for athletes that weren't, uh, sorry, athletes that were in elite conditioning. So if you're a bikini competitor, nothing against uh, bikini competitors, but the level of conditioning that you need to get into versus a bodybuilder or a figure or a fitness female is going to be completely different. So the, this paper basically showed that there was a figure competitor. She was in a really good healthy range. At, I think it was about 55 kilos, 15% body fat start of the prep, did a 20-week prep, got down to about 8% body fat, um, lost her cycle at around about the 11, 12-week mark. And then at the conclusion of her contest prep, slowly reversed calories back up to the point where I think it was at about – a year post-show, she still didn't have her cycle and she was about 50, she was about 57 kilos and she started at 55. And anyway, long story short, it took her to get up to 20% body fat and she didn't get her cycle back until 71 weeks post her contest prep. So when she lost it at 10, 11 weeks, it took 80 weeks for her cycle to come back. She was really, really strict in her reverse protocols, but it just showed, and again, I've seen through anecdote and I know you boys would have as well, that going going slower and gradually bringing calories up isn't isn't the goal like at the end of the day we want to restore all of those um diet related adaptations that we get in prep so pushing calories in a really aggressive surplus at the start is what's required because you need to put some instant fat mass on and then just give your body a period of consistency of surplus and again unfortunately it's just the cost of doing business so i think to summarize as long as you are um, working with someone who knows what they're doing and you understand that it is unfortunately just a byproduct of prolonged energy deprivation and lower body composition, that it will come back eventually provided that you're consistent. And the people, and I've found the females that are the most irregular and want to try and hang on to conditioning post their contest prep, they're the ones that it takes longer for their cycle to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I've got a couple of examples of, of results that are completely skewed. So, like, I think there's maybe, like, a thought out there that, you know, I'm sure there's people that are thinking, you know, is it, like, 
if I go to a thousand calories and I run it for longer than two weeks, is that like the cycle breaker? Like, unfortunately, there's no exact number or exact time frame. And I think Scotty like nailed the fact that you probably got to look at it more from a conditioning level than a calorie number level or a length of time necessarily, but how long you're in that state for and then how long the recovery is going to take again is going to be, you know, athlete dependent again. But, you know, I've had somebody who's worked with another coach um, who, you know, lost their cycle, got in really, really good condition and actually got it back within 20 weeks. Um, and I've had athletes that, you know, have not had their cycle since they were 16 who got it back after a two-year off-season. So, um, you know, like you look at those two results and there's no way you could ever make a comparison or, or, or give some type of time frame because there's just so many variables. To it. Yeah, I think, like, I agree with you boys totally. I think you know, you've got to take into consideration has anyone been, um, have underlying health conditions, PCOS, have they been taking contraception? Uh, how long have they had a regular cycle before they started their contest prep or their off-season. But, you know, so that's going to play a role in maybe they're losing it earlier and taking it longer to get back. Um, but let, let's just say that someone's happy, healthy, you know, hasn't had contraception at all their whole life or for years and years and years. Everything's been regular. They've had a great off-season. They're on a good amount of calories. The, the coach is, is doing their prep for them. They're not doing anything stupid and aggressive and uh, everything's going well. You may never lose it. It's potential you may never lose it or you may lose it. Um, and I would say at least wait for however long you lost it for before your show. Wait that long post-show before you start to be like, okay, what's going on here? Um, is there things we need to look into? Do we need to go get some tests done? Is there something that we need to do differently? Um, yeah. As long as though the approach is you know, sound, educated, not aggressive by a good coach, then you should be good to go. You might not lose it or you might only lose it for the time you lose it. You might take the same time to get it back. Yeah. Um, and also making sure that, you know, there are some supplements and vitamins and some minerals and herbs that you should be utilizing during your prep to make sure that you do keep things as healthy as they possibly can and also utilizing them through the recovery reverse and off-season phase too. So, yeah. I think um, another important thing to say, um, just because I know we've got a lot of male listeners who are also getting prepped at the moment is, and I just use myself as a perfect example, is like, you know, um, your testosterone levels as a natty, um, you know, in a long, you know, period of prolonged starvation, um, you know, you know, what was my total prep? Like something from, it was like 25 weeks up to about 28 by the last show or something like that, 24 to 28. I got my bloods done straight after and, you know, I reported back to Scott and my T was just like non-existent basically, like mm -hmm. well below the normal range. Um, hence why, you know, we, um, we employed the, the recovery phase, not the reverse diet where my cows went basically through the roof. And we did, we, we tried to put on five kilos pretty quickly, right? Within sort of 20 days, we we're trying to put on five kilos, get some fat mass back on. Um, and, you know, now having been 16 weeks post-show, you know, my, my, my T levels are getting back to normal range now. So, um, it's, it's also like a, a, a common side effect for a male who preps, but there is no lost cycle. But I would say like a, a fair comparison would be like testosterone levels completely dipping. It's very normal. I would say that, you know, pretty much all of my male competitors who get blood done post-show have well and truly dipped most to below normal healthy ranges of, of T. Some within, everyone's different again. But again, it is a common symptom. But I would say that, you know, it is something that reverses maybe maybe a little bit quicker than potentially a female regaining her, her cycle. Yeah. And with guys, obviously, we don't have a period to let us know that obviously our sex hormones are returning to normal, but one of the easiest markers is probably just your libido. So 
you, you'll know, obviously, when you're in prep, there comes a point where it's just non-existent. And you'll also probably find there will come a point where in that post-recovery phase where it will gradually start to come back and then you will notice it. And then obviously as a result of that, and the, 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 the more heightened your libido is, that's normally a pretty good indication that test levels are getting back to normal. But again, we would normally take, take bloods, you know, at the peak of our off season at the start of prep and then at the conclusion. But the loss of those things isn't something that you would flag as, oh my God, we've done something wrong. Like we would expect that if, if Michael had to come back to me and said, man, my test levels are unreal, I would be like, well, we probably need to get them done again because I reckon they've made a mistake. There's no way that your, your T levels are going to be where they should be um, because we've just put your body you know, through hell, so to speak, in the most optimal way we can. But again, I think the biggest thing is just, just be patient. And if you are consistent and you're patient, 90% of the time or majority of the time, things will just sort of sort themselves out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be getting some bloods done before my first show and uh, probably get a Dexa just to have some data mm-hmm. so that when I'm in the off-season, I have something to compare to. And then obviously when I do my subsequent preps, I have something to compare to also, for sure. So yeah. definitely something for, for people to think, think about, something easy to, to do and to measure. Mm-hmm. And one of the other common things I say with um, athletes who get bloods, like just while we're on it, because I just think it's an interesting topic, is like, I, I see the, like obviously testosterone is one that's affected a lot, particularly for male athletes. And I see iron generally up or down, depending on the athlete as well. It's something that when you get super down regulated, I notice that really fluctuates a lot as well. Um, so yeah, definitely. I'll be actually keen to see what MT's bloods are because yeah. we know that he's like fully peeled at the moment. So maybe we could use yours as, as an example, man. Yeah, for sure. Because my bloods have always come back really, really good. Like everything's always perfect. So well, MT will get his, he's 4% body fat and they'll be fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the worst example ever. <laughs> uh, I am actually, I've put myself on a supplement protocol to help with that. So I'm really keen to see how it goes, to be honest. Sure. Um, all right. So on the, still on the theme of prep, uh, one was depleting leading into peak week for bikini girls. Yes or no? Now, I know we've spoken about peak week before. And, um, but, you know, let's just quickly, we can just give a yes or no if you want to. No. Just a quick uh, explanation if you want. But. You know, depleting a bikini girl that is not ultimately lean, shredded with a lot of muscle mass seems a little bit pointless. Um, and then reloading her for no good reason. You're only doing those things if someone is super diced and they have a lot of muscle mass and you're going for a specific look. On like, are, we, are we asking, like, are, you, are we... Are we depleting glycogen? Is that what we're depleting? Or like, what, are, so. what, like, what are we depleting... Is, is, I suppose, the question. Like, I'm guessing they're saying, are we, like, no carb, depleting them down to the ground? Like, I'm, I'm thinking they're not asking, are we depleting water? I think that's what, like, the old school mentality is. You know, you do X amount of days of depletion in your peak week, which is, like, zero to no carbs, and then you do X amount of days of loading. Um, yeah. I'm just going to say, no. so unless you're a bodybuilder or you're someone with a lot of muscle mass, even then, I don't... I, I, I don't agree with the whole depletion thing. I think if, if you're already in stage condition, you, for me, you're just going to linearly load and just gradually like push a little bit more in, watch, see how it looks, and then find a look that you like early in the week and then hold it unless you've got someone that you're trying to push conditioning up until the last two days. But for females and bikini girls, you want to keep things as consistent as possible. You might have to run low days all the way in because you're just trying to 
keep food volume low and just keep that shape, but you're not trying to deplete them so you can then top them up because there's not really going to be anything to top up. Actually, no. Scotty, maybe touch on um, depletion from a workout perspective. <coughs> I know that's something that you do utilize. So with when I, as in like when I'm in the, the couple of days leading into it, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, if you were like when we do our, um, in the, the couple of days leading into the show, we will firstly, we'll keep training pretty consistent um, early on in the week. And again, it, it's so dependent on, on the athlete. Like again, if you're trying to get them um, diced all the way into the show, but to be honest, that's pretty rarely most of the time they're going to be ready. But we may push a little bit more volume earlier on um, in the week. And then that's purely just because what, what we are typically going to see or the way that I like to, to run my peaks most of the time is that training will actually really pretty much half and, and just really reduce in the last few days into the show. And that's for reasons that obviously we want to try and, and firstly reduce any sort of muscle damage or fatigue or anything that could you know, draw in any unnecessary water or elevate cortisol levels. But basically, we, we normally typically want to find a physique that we like and then just hold it. And then gradually, as we go, we'll top up more and more. Again, if we use Michael as an example, like we were literally, I think in the last three days leading into your shows, you would send photos like first thing in the morning, fasted, how you look after your meals, how you look after your workouts, because we're trying to gauge the look that we want to see. And then once we find it, we also want to see how you wake up. So if we push in 500 grams of carbohydrate, and then you wake up the next day and you're still super flat. It's like, well, we probably need to push in a little bit more food because obviously we still haven't brought him back, you know, to life. Because majority of the time when you are super lean and ready early, like MT, you would probably wake up most mornings and you, you, you just feel super skinny and shredded. But then you have your pre-workout meal and you get a few sets in you with some, some water and you just like inflate. And that's sort of the way, the way that it goes. So I think... It's just about making little adjustments, but essentially you just want to find a, a look that you like and then you want to try and hold that um, leading into the, to the show and just try and keep things as consistent as possible. Yeah. yeah, and I think the other like interesting thing that probably people would like to know about is like in terms of like the training leading up to the show, um, why you don't want to be depleted is like, obviously glycogen is going to affect the look, right? So if you're, if you're burning it all out because you're training too hard, you're never really going to achieve the goal of being able to fill up. So I think the objective of training leading into the show, particularly like in the last few days close to the show is, is you know, and you would have heard it like what people would call potentially a pump session or what we would call like a, a trans -carbo carbohydrate transportation session is just, you know, get like a, a circuit set up where you know, you're potentially doing six or seven exercises, three or four sets, your intensity is maybe a six or seven out of 10, and you're just really shuttling blood around the body, you know, sending carbohydrates into, into the muscle and like really just assessing the look as you go. But you know, I think anyone who's sort of training to failure you know, two or three days out is probably, um, probably missing the mark. And, and Scotty, you, you implement like some kind of post-show training, right? Where it's like show after show, you do some training? Yeah, so I do. So typically, we don't. I don't do things the way that most athletes do when they finish their show. They probably go and have a cheat meal, or they go to Demarzi's and eat donuts and stuff. So I'll normally, my guys, everything's very structured and organised. So as soon as they get off stage, they'll normally have 
the pre-workout meal, which might sound a little bit strange, but for the most part, if they've got another show coming up, which most of the time they do, so if you're running around another peak week, we've pushed in a lot of carbohydrate. We've pushed in um, more higher doses in an acute amount of time of sodium as we're leading into the show. It's obviously increased blood pressure, blood volume. Um, so majority of the time, and about an hour after they get off stage, we've peaked the look they're going to start to look pretty pretty crappy. And obviously, if we've got a shorter turnaround time, we need to ideally get rid of all of that extra food, all of that glycogen, um, and, and basically get rid of all of those calories. Because if, if you've been say, – let's say that you're on 2,000 um, cals MT. I don't know what your intakes are, but say that you were, and then you might have had in the space of, say, three days gradually loading say you've had an extra 500 then an extra 700 then an extra thousand and then you've had your total daily calorie intake almost in the morning leading into the show because that's just what was required to fill you up if you're just going to then go out and have a massive overfeed you're likely your, your body's primed to store fat straight away so and i guarantee if you're doing that you would probably well, i don't know if you are but i would assume um that you would probably have a training session, if it's not thereafter, it might be the next morning that you need to go and get in and remove all of the extra intakes that you put in. But also, we want to try and get your body back to baseline straight away so that we have metrics that are going to be accurate at the start of the week. Because if you go out for an overfeed, you could gain four kilos, five kilos, not in fat mass, but huge amounts of sodium. Where sodium goes, water's going to follow. And it might take four days for your physique to go back to normal and then you've just got no idea how the look is in terms of how to manage, you know, again, your next peak week versus I'll normally prescribe it either an EB session. So it could be um, dead like hamstrings and back or squats, uh, quads and push so that you can use a lot of um, big dominant muscle groups. You're also primed after all that food and you've had a couple of days of lesser training. You'll be itching to get in the gym, you know, and get out and get after it. You have a crazy workout, but I just find that within normally – a day or two after that, we normally push in a lot of potassium and magnesium the day of the show to counteract the sodium, so electrolyte levels balance out. But by Monday, things are pretty much back to normal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Good information, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So you mentioned a couple of things, which there was a question kind of surrounding this, but I think that maybe some of the answers lie in what you said. One of the, one of the questions was, does low heart rate uh, low resting heart rate, affect your ability to get a pump during training. Now, that's not what you kind of covered, but you talked about electrolytes and potassium. Mm -hmm. um, any links there, anything to do with a heart rate, pumps in the gym, things like that? So in terms of getting a, getting a pump, obviously you're trying to push blood into the muscle, provided that you've got enough carbohydrate in your body to help obviously top that up. Essentially, and this is where it baffles me that people cut water to try and look full on stage because it's just the complete opposite of what you want to do. But you obviously need to have X amount of sodium and you need to have the right amount of potassium and you need the right amount of, of water. Majority of the time you could have a light, you could have like 30 grams of carbohydrate, you know, consume a liter of water, uh, maybe put a little bit of salt in your water so that you're getting some sodium into your body, a couple of bites of banana. So again, electrolyte levels are balanced. And then you could go into the gym and start training if you're lean, there's no reason why you wouldn't start being able to, to pump up. So I think if you have a lower heart rate, that could be because of lots of different things. The fitter you are, that's not typically going to determine whether you are or are not able to get a pump. And sodium is a massive one for that. And that's why, you know, we'll normally push um, 
anywhere from a thousand to two thousand milligrams of sodium within you know maybe we we actually start pushing in a bit of sodium normally about two hours out depending on the athlete like you're not going to do it with a bikini girl <laughs> and then again well, you, the know, of, you, you depleted her man so <laughs> yeah, that's right because obviously it's not going to really change anything with the look but obviously by doing that, it means that when you do start to pump up, you've obviously got um, a higher blood plasma osmolality. So your your sodium um, count, so to speak, within your bloodstream is higher. So your blood pressure is going to be higher. It allows you to get a pump better and obviously um, fill out ultimately on stage. But again, the recoil of that, and that's why I mentioned at the, the conclusion of the show, I'll normally give my guys or recommend that they need to have a banana. They'll have white potato with dinner. Their foods that are high in potassium or some coconut water. And then they'll also have magnesium because they are obviously going to balance out your electrolyte levels. Because if, if you've had all that sodium, you'll find that when you get off, you probably are over the next hour going to slowly dehydrate. So that's why we push a lot of water in. And again, we balance out those levels. And then you'll find that if you do those things alone, Majority of the time, if not the next day, you'll have a little bit of a weight spike, but by Monday, you'll pretty much be back to normal. So are you, are you actually, because I recommend this too, are you recommending also that some of your carb-up foods are potassium-related? <laughs> Always. So typically, and again, we're not talking about like having a stupid amount um, of, of, of potassium. And then obviously, if you've got, you know, and in imbalance in electrolytes, and that's the problem when people that are not natural that muck around with um, diuretics and end up, you know, hyperkalemic. But basically, the day before, typically most most athletes are going to be consuming, provided that you're you're pretty lean, you're going to be consuming some form of potato on the daily, really. Anyway, most people are on Spud Light or Charisma. Um, so I'll typically, um, again, everyone knows that I'm an advocate for meal plans. The meal the day before will normally have banana in it and it will, ne- it will nearly always, not nearly, it will always have some form of potato. Not so much in the last meal, probably in meals two or three so that we have got extra levels of potassium and there'll normally be a banana or something included or some coconut water um, the morning of the show so that, again, we know that we are going to push sodium in quite aggressively leading in like within half an hour out. I normally use sodium tablets. Um, I mean, you can see it. Like, again, MG, you, you just start to inflate. Like, within the space of, like, 45 minutes, the carbohydrate starts to go in. And because you're nice and relaxed, you've got all of that glycogen. It just helps increase blood pressure, which obviously allows us to get um, a really, really good pump and better vasodilation. So doing those things and being aware and understanding, you know, electrolyte balances is really, really important. So we've put a bit of potassium in, but it also helps to counteract that you don't end up dehydrated and hitting a, an abs and quads and then cramping and you're not able to obviously, you know, hold that look on stage as well. So, yeah. So yeah. And the other, the other thing that we, we push, I think we all push this is like getting adequate water intake pretty much immediately post the stage. Um, like pushing in sort of one to two litres in that, in that first couple of hours straight after the show day. Is that something that um, is consistent with pretty much all three of us? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you shouldn't be dehydrated Again, misinformation. A hydrated muscle belly looks full, it looks hard, it's able to fill up very, very easily. A dehydrated muscle belly, like if someone's like, oh, I was just, um, I wasn't depleted enough when I got on stage, if you weren't able to get a pump, 
but then they'll go out and get a feed afterwards and they'll hydrate, they'll consume water and sodium and all of a sudden, voila, fuck, they look incredible. So you should be, you should be well hydrated when you get on stage. Obviously, you don't want to have a water belly. So I'll normally try and keep water pretty consistent, maybe a little bit more water earlier in the morning than normal because typically I'll pull water at about two hours out to basically just sip it as you need to drink it yeah. so that you're hydrated. Again, you're going to be able to get a pump, no issues, but we don't want to be going to the bathroom, you know, every, <laughs> every 10 seconds like we normally yeah. do in a day-to-day of contest prep. So I think, again, it's just not mucking around with those variables. And I think the people that do, honestly, it, it shows on, on, uh, on stage. It's actually, it's funny how many people you'll see or, or ask questions when you are shredded. I actually, I remember at the Nat Olympia, um, I think it was my second pro show and I actually got, I got drug tested a couple of days before the event I, that they rocked up at my hotel and I had to go in and get a drug test. And I remember having my drug test and I was like super hydrated, just like normal. And there was a couple of other guys there and even the day before and they're like, oh, when did you cut your water? And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I didn't cut my water. And some of these guys are literally like the water guys are having to give them fluids to piss because they're a day out and they're so deep. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, it, it just, it blew my mind. Um, and I think it's, there's less of that that goes on now, but I think there still probably are some yeah. old school bros that subscribe to, you know, the way that Jay Cutler and those guys who aren't natural used to do it. Yeah, sure. Like, just to not harp on the potassium, but, you know, if someone made the mistake that they decided to carb load on a bunch of rice or cereal or exo crunch or something like that and they didn't take potassium in when they were carb loading and obviously they've been dieting for x amount of weeks they're probably on low carbs they're not even having potatoes and bananas what would happen then if they go to just do their carb load with low potassium and they chuck a bunch of salt in before they go what's what's going to happen then i think it would depend on firstly you shouldn't be carving up on foods that you haven't one of my biggest things is you just want to keep things as consistent so if you're used to eating sweet potato, you know, throughout your prep, that's what you have on your refeed days. Why you would switch to an, ex, uh, switch to an exo crunch or a cereal is, uh, is beyond me. But essentially, you want to have foods and you should have this logged out that are obviously easy for you to digest, you know, that agree with you, that aren't going to cause any bloating. And the other thing is obviously you want to make sure that they're low in fiber. But typically when you're pushing in a lot, not so much a lot of carbohydrate or perhaps more than you normally would, it's more you need to be very attentive of the amount of sodium that you're consuming. And this, again, it baffles me when people increase carbs, but they pull water and they pull sodium. Your body requires roughly around three to four meals per gram of carbohydrate to store that glycogen. And your body also requires sodium to deposit and to distribute glycogen. You've, there's a glucose transporter that is actually in your small intestine and it's sodium dependent. So if you're not consuming sodium, so if you were having... Um, rice or whatever, I would say you want to put a few cranks on uh, of salt on that. And to be honest, you should be really doing that throughout the day anyway, because if you're going to go and have a workout and you're just going to eat plain rice, I'd be saying I'd be having like, you know, maybe a thousand milligrams minimum of sodium with that meal. And then I'm going to go and train. And then again, I'm going to assess the look because you know that when you have that, and I typically use one of the reasons I use the Ayam sweet chili um, sauce is that it does have a high concentration of sodium. So it's a low calorie source. It tastes awesome, but 
typically if you have that as a pre-workout or you have it after your meal, like within about 20 minutes, you just start to light up like a Christmas tree. And again, that's just sodium helping to obviously, well, firstly, it's obviously increasing blood pressure, but it helps to distribute and to, to, to deposit those carbohydrates. But with the, with the potassium side of things, I think you just run the risk of if you're pushing in extra carbs and obviously you've got the sodium there and you're not consuming any potassium, then you run the risk of potentially holding water because you are going to have an electrolyte imbalance. Yeah. 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 Scott, we thought, we thought it was because you were sponsored by AM this whole time. But you know actually- what, man? <laughs> I actually can't believe that they haven't reached out because I live in Monty, but I go to Greensboro um, Coles or the Eltham Coles, and there's sometimes where I actually can't get them. And I had a light bulb moment the other day, and Jen said to me, she's like, you eat all this food. Why the fuck are you still eating light sweet cream sauce? Why don't you just buy the normal one? <laughs> and I was legit like, that's actually a fair point. I'm drinking all this juice and eating lollies. And I, I don't know why. The normal one, I've actually bought it now. I taste Oh, my no God. The normal one is so easy to find. The light yeah, one is the hard one to find. Because no one buys it. I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't reckon... I don't think I've ever had it. I don't think I could, I've ever so seen good, it because I haven't so found good. it. But you know what's funny is I'll recommend stuff to clients that I'm eating. They're like, you guys need to go get this. And then with a couple of weeks, it's not on the shelves anymore. I was like, what did yeah. I do? What did I do? Why did yeah, I tell everyone to go buy this stuff? Now there's none for me left. I yeah, feel like English is. muffins these days are just getting harder and harder to find every time I put them in someone's plan. But. Yeah, and Cheerios and YoPro are also sometimes you go through droughts in them as well. It's one of those things. I think, I think because if they see their coach consuming it, oh, it must be the, the holy grail. It's anabolic. It's anabolic, man. The anabolic Cheerios. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had, another, we had a, uh, two more, well, one more question about prep, and we already covered it in the last podcast. So, guys, uh, the question was about, you know, what's the lowest you take your athletes to? Uh, like, I mean, from a calorie perspective, you want to dig in, and what are the limits? Man, we covered that in uh, episode nine, the last episode. So definitely go and check that. It's at the end of that episode, and there's a really, really good chat that we have about, um, about, about that. So check that out. Yep. Next one was, um, how often do you, should you change the macros, weekly, fortnightly, or monthly, uh, depending on a build or a lean-out phase? Yeah, I mean, answer a real quick answer, but let's go for it. Yeah, I reckon quickly, man, just like as little as you have to. Like if you're making changes weekly just to be novel when it's not necessary, potentially taking away tools, you know, that you may need later on down the track when things get hard. And that goes both ways. That goes whether you're dieting or whether you're growing. And I think we can all equally agree, both have their challenges. Like, um, so you don't want to be making unnecessary changes. And, you know, the old cliche saying, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. Well, that, that kind of rings true here because, you know, if I can get a, a calorie change to last 8, 10, 12 weeks, you know, I think in my prep, we had a run of, you know, 8 or 10 weeks where we didn't have to make a single change. So no food had to be taken off. Him. That's a great outcome. So I think the right answer is as little as possible. Yep, I completely agree. I think if you're making, I think maybe sometimes first or novice coaches perhaps feel like they need to, you know, move the um, move the pawns around on the chessboard a little bit more than you need to. But again, you just got to have faith in your system. If if the system's working, why would you make an unnecessary change if you you don't need to? That's it's a good indication. If your client's like, well, why haven't we made any changes? Because we don't need to yet. So this is a good thing. Ride the wave as long as you can. And yeah. can we like relate that back to like training as well? I think this is something that happens a lot. And you're like, like you know, bringing in 
novelty for the sake of novelty. And I know like I've worked with both of you and you know, the one thing that you know has is, is consistent is that you know you don't need to be changing exercises all the time. Like if you've got a set of solid exercises that you can progressively overload consistently whilst keeping your intensity high and you feel like you get good mind muscle connection, fucking run it as long as you fucking can, right? Until you can't progress that thing anymore. And if that <laughs> means that you only make you know one or two exercise changes over your whole block every three to four months, I, I say you're on a fucking winner. Yep. Yeah, um, but I think what we see is we see like, you know, oh, my, my last coach used to update my program every four weeks. So I just think that I personally don't think that that's a fucking good idea. I see it all the time. If you're someone who's changing programs, you know, regularly, you know, week, fortnightly, monthly, even you know, every six weeks, um, and you're changing a big bulk of your movements, I think you're missing opportunity and progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to you got to wring out the sponge in every single lift and get the most of every single lift before you change it. I, I understand there's a novelty aspect because people find it more motivated. I get that too. Yeah. In the gym, and it depends on the type of client you have. You may swap some exercises out when really, you know, behind the scenes, it's not really going to make a difference, but it makes them feel better about the program and more motivated. So you know, you'll swap out some group variations and things like that, but it's still the same sure. pattern. So you might do some trickery that your clients don't really know about, but really, in the end, as a coach, you're still wringing out the sponge in that movement pattern. Yeah. But some clients, like myself, I don't really need to have a thousand different exercises. Like I love sticking to a specific exercise and just getting the absolute most out of it before I change it. So, um, and like I'll say this, like some of the best physiques, and I'll use you two as an example, right? Both elite physiques, both elite level conditioning were built in gyms that don't have 9,000 machines. Jamboli yeah. trains in his garage. Scott's got his own business in his own gym. But Scott, you didn't have a million machines through your prep, right? You trained through code. So... Don't also get caught in the, you know, I have to have access to nine different row machines and you should put every variation and you should use the incline MTS press. You should use the hammer strength press. You should use, you know, the Cybex one. Man, it's, it's not necessary. It's like, it's like intensity. It's like um, just making sure that your overload is consistent, but the machine is, is not necessarily the most important factor. I'm not saying that there are advantages to having access to different pieces of, of equipment at different times, but it's not the be all and end all. I think you also, people have to be honest with themselves too. Like some people swap, want to swap an exercise out because it's easier. Um, and like, for instance, like barbell hip thrust or using the hip thrust machine, some people can't be asked um, and be bothered loading the plates up, but the barbell they know is a lot better and they can feel it a lot more in their glutes but they'd rather just use a pin-loaded machine, which really most of them are rubbish, to be honest. You ask yeah, most- I hate that. I, don't, I can't stand it. Unless it's the hammer strength, their glue drive, which is good, but that's an $18,000 machine. And not, yeah. not a lot of gyms have them. Just stick to the basics. You can't beat, like, you can't beat a good old-fashioned a, a hip hinge barbell variation or yeah. a barbell hip thrust or a press, whether it's a dumbbell. It doesn't have to be a specific hammer strength you know, a decline or an incline, like you've got an incline bench, you've, you've got everything that you need along with those other pieces. So yeah, I think, I think people, also get, people get, get caught up on, on social media, on Instagram, what looks sexy and fancy and what their favorite fitness model is doing. I can almost guarantee you that that person did not build their physique doing the funky crap that they're now advertising on their feed because it's going to get more likes than them doing just a RDL. Compared to and go and have a look at how Ronnie Coleman and how 
you know, all these old school grungy guys used to train and just build like back when bodybuilding was like when they were really real, like genetic monsters, they, they just used to use fucking barbell. Like it was deadlift heavy, squat heavy, hip thrust, like press heavy. It's those basic fundamentals. None of these fancy hammer strength, uh, hammer strength and Cybex and Atlantis pieces even existed. So, you know, fortunately, we're very spoiled these days that we have access to all those, um, you know, mechanical pieces that are just unreal, but it's not the be all or end all. It's not going to be life or you don't have access to them. You can still absolutely make enormous progression um, with with those basics. So, yeah. And and don't get me wrong. There is some amazing machines out there and we're not saying don't use them. I, I actually program people into using specific machines too, because I know they're awesome. The mm-hmm. point we're trying to make is don't swap it out all the time, right? Don't keep, like, if you like the machine, we're going to put that in a program and you're going to do it for eight weeks. Like, that's just the way it is. So we're, yep. also, too, is not to go on a, on a rant or a tangent, but there's a lot of things on social media that some PTs are, are, are doing with their clients that you would never program in someone's training um, program because they physically couldn't set up the device of the machine in that way by themselves, right? So... There's some fancy movements where people are like putting bars on their shoulders and doing some kind of cross curtsy lunge with like a landmine. And I'm like, there's no way if you weren't there to put that thing on their shoulder and set that movement up and tell them how to put their foot position and how to, which angle to be in, there's no way that client is going to be able to do that by themselves without hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. So also think about, okay, something might be sexy and novel, but is it practical? And are you going to have good gym etiquette too? Are you not going to be hogging all the equipment also, right? So there's a couple of things that we, uh, we cover in that one. I think we'll leave it there. Um, all right. So we're, we're coming to the end of that theme and we've been on for a little bit of time, but um, maybe we can just cover something a little bit different. Um, so one of the people asked, um, where is it? Okay. Where does the toxic stigma in bodybuilding come from and how do we address it and rectify it? Bit of a deep one, but I reckon we try to cover this one. This one came through on, um, on mine and I, I, I wasn't quite sure how to interpret what he meant in the sense of, I don't know whether he thinks or if he's referring to like the people dying in the IFBB because of obviously um, drug abuse and whatnot or if it's toxic in the sense that I feel like bodybuilders are typically a little bit misunderstood or we're viewed as perhaps a weird breed because most normal people can't comprehend why would you want to just like train really, really hard, either eat to the point where you want to vomit to get massive or then just die yourself and again train really, really hard and limit yourself um, from going out and, and, you know, being able to eat normally and things like that. But I don't really find that toxic because it doesn't really bother me. I think if you're set in your own way and you you know you like what you like i'm not into motocross but if someone that i know talks about it and likes it, it doesn't really offend me like if you're happy with what you're doing then that's fine but i think in regards to the if it's if if he means the toxic environment that is like what's going on in the ipv i think that's perhaps only maybe just a couple of instances like you think about how many enhanced people there are and how many top pros and unfortunately, obviously, you know, we've seen um, some people in the last little while pass away. It's not ideal, but sometimes, like, that's just what happens in that sport. I think guys that go down that path, 
you know and you understand the risks that are associated with that. Like you're putting, you're putting agents in your body that your body doesn't naturally produce. There's always going to be a risk of some recoil. It's like if you're an F1 driver, you're going to drive really, really fast. There's a chance that you might die if you crash your car. Or you see footballers end up with brain damage because they get really bad concussions. I think it's just something that, that, that comes with it. So that's how I'm interpreting what he meant. But you guys have a stab at it. I think it's the same. I think it's probably related to like the drug use. And I think in terms of like your question said, how do you rectify it? I don't think it's an easy thing. But I think, I mean, if it's, if it's, the, if it's the federation who needs to take charge, I think it's just around education and potentially... Uh, I don't think putting mandates in for athletes to have certain minimum health checks to compete is something that's going to be viable. But I think, um, you know, education around the types of health checks that you can do to potentially make something that is not safe a little safer. But I think anyone who goes down that path is fully aware of the repercussions. And I think, um, you know, things like educating around getting consistent blood works and having, you know, heart checks regularly and these types of things maybe could be increased. And I think that's something that we'll see a little bit over the next few years. But again, I think it's a, a risk, a part of this sport as there is within any elite level sport. Now, I'm going to cover it from a different standpoint. I'm going to cover it from like negative talk about what we do or how people that are doing what we do have negative talk. So obviously, you know, what we do, people aren't going to understand uh, and they're not always going to support it. So, you know, the most common thing is after someone finishes a prep or after someone does a comp, oh, so you can eat like a normal person now? You don't need to train anymore? And that can be like a negative and a toxic um, mindset to have. It's like, no, they just don't understand the fact that, you know, this is something that you enjoy to do. It's a life choice. It's a hobby. It's a lifestyle, whatever it may be. Like if you like another hobby that you're fully entrenched in, you spend a lot of your time and energy and talk about a lot, uh, people just aren't going to understand or aren't going to like or live the same lifestyle as you. So don't see it as a them being toxic or negative. Just see it as the fact that they just don't understand on the same page as you. And it's okay to be different. It's okay to like different things and live a different life and enjoy different things and, and maybe do things that uh, are not the norm. Because what we're doing is not the norm. Eating healthy and training a lot is sadly not the norm, right? But it should be. should be, all right? Well, maybe maybe we're, we're ahead of our time. But um, mm -hmm. so that's one thing. And then I think the second thing is having people that are doing what we're doing, having negative talk. You know, a lot of people, you know, it's okay. They want to tell, tell the world that they're hungry and tell the world that they're tired and tell the world that they've got prep feels and tell the world so they can get their little boost up, wherever that may be, or it makes it feel better when it's off their chest. But also tell all the positives. Like I have so many clients that prep has changed their life. Like they've had eating disorders. They've been skinny their whole life. Now they've realized that they can eat and train and feel amazing and they've learned healthy habits and they've learned structure and they've learned routine. They've learned what food is, what food they should be having, what food they shouldn't be having. And they've learned lifelong lessons that are life related, that are work related, that are routine related, that are nutrition related. That are so I want to see people more talking about the positives because there's actually more positives than there are negatives than you just feeling hungry all the time. Um, and I love it when my clients post about the positives, how preppers changed their life, how, how getting into this sport has changed their mindset on a lot of things and has cascaded into their family, their friends. Now their mum is losing weight. Now their, their, their kids are eating better. So let's not concentrate on the toxicity of people that are around us or the toxicity we have within ourselves. 
let's put out the positive and let's put out the positive energy and the positive vibes and the fact that what we're doing is is mostly positive and let's see the positives in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's like really easy to talk about someone who's got, you know, what we would typically call, you know, healthy habits and healthy goals, but, you know, there's not many conversations going around around, you know, how many people that, you know, you know that drink every night of the week, but nobody talks about that. Like, you know, even if it's two or three, two, two or three drinks after work, but if it's seven days a week, that seems to be common and acceptable. But, you know, training five days and eating healthy is, is uh, you know, to a lot of people very weird. I know one of the comments me and I got, right, is when we got back from Bali, was like, oh, how did you feel not training? I'm like, man, we trained seven out of the 11 days we were there. They're like, but you're on holidays. So, dude, it makes me feel good. Like, a holiday... And a break is not a break from the things that, you know, we enjoy to do. So, like, so you're right. It is, it is very not normal in, in, yeah. in a lot of circles. So, mm-hmm. I think we leave it there, boys. That was really good. Positive note to leave it on. Um, there was other questions you didn't get to, but we appreciate uh, everyone's questions and um, we'll, uh, we'll definitely do another yeah, I think this was a really good episode for, like, anyone... You know, a lot, a lot of our listeners, like Scotty said earlier, like are probably in prep or about to or in off season. So I think it was a really relevant episode to anyone who's um, who's who does compete. Um, but yeah, keep the questions coming through because we've got plenty more episodes to get through. We can keep this consistent every week as we have been to date, and uh, we certainly appreciate everyone's support. It's been uh, very overwhelming, and, and and we are grateful. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Everything you boys said and some. So yeah, as always, if you can, guys, continue to support it. Um, like the post, share it on your um, your IG story. Because at the end of the day, we're all doing this because we're passionate about this sport, this industry, and you know, I guess we're, like we don't have anything to gain from it other than just trying to share knowledge and just hope that it raises the standard and the way that people go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just want to put good quality content out there. So keep it coming, and if you enjoy it, share it um, and let us know about it. But otherwise, as we said, we, we appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Enjoy, guys. We All right, lads. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Boys.